Hello, I'm Neve Brannigan and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. The Irish Film London podcast brings you closer to the latest and greatest talent from Irish film, TV and animation. It includes recordings of live Q&As and interviews from our festivals and award ceremonies, as well as a host of brand new interviews. And this one is going to be a cracker. Recorded between London and Ireland, today our sponsorship director, Lara, meets with the Wolf Walkers team. Two-time Academy Award nominee Tom Moore and Annie Award nominee Ross Stewart, directors of this highly anticipated cartoon saloon animation, which premieres in the UK at the London Film Festival. In a time of superstition and magic, when wolves are seen as demonic and nature and evil to be tamed, a young apprentice hunter, Robin, comes to Ireland with her father to wipe out the last pack. But when Robin saves a wild native girl, Maeve, their friendship leads to discover the world of the wolf walkers and transform her into the very thing her father is tasked to destroy. No children beyond the walls. The forest is brimming with real wolves. You can come out now. You're, you're a wolf walker. I met a girl in the forest. Who has magic powers. When she sleeps, she turns into a wolf. She's a wolf walker. Something's happened to me. Be a wolf. A beautiful, mythical, and often ethereal animated feature, Wolf Walkers is sure to score a hat-trick of nominations for the Cartoon Saloon Team come award season. It's an Irish folktale, but it has universal modern themes of diversity, inclusion, and acceptance, and is ideal for all of the family to see. The film will be released across the UK at the end of October, and will also be available to stream on Apple TV+. Finally, just before we kick things off, we'd like to thank the Irish Emigrant Support Programme for their ongoing support of our work, including this podcast series. Now, over to Tom, Ross and Lara. Thank you very much for joining us here at Irish Film London. I feel very honoured to be in the company of Oscar-nominated greatness. (laughs) (laughs) So you should be. So you should be. like I should be, I don't know. Yeah, curtsy. Yes, where's your curtsy? Come on Um, now. (laughs) Well, curtsy. (laughs) I I have, um, I was was telling uh, Tom, I have seen the film, Ross, so I'm really, really excited to talk to you both about it. Um, And um, yeah, and what I'll do, I've got a lot of a whole bunch of questions. I'll do my best to get through through all of them. First of all, how are you both? Um, And are you in Ireland? Are you locked down somewhere? Um, and how have you been over the last few months? Has this been a an auspiciously creative time for you? <laughs> or, um, so. or have you been like everybody else on the internet and actually trying to make a sourdough starter and banana bread? <laughs> I did try and do star- sourdough and it didn't work. So then I just went back to buying normal bread. But I think like everyone else, for <laughs> like myself, else, for, yeah. <laughs> for myself though, I haven't been too creative. I've just been... Um, watching a lot of Netflix and uh, wondering if it's safe to go outside. That's a bit Speaking of Netflix, is there, is there something, are you making particular choices during the pandemic that you wouldn't normally watch? Or 
are you finding yourselves finding things that you wouldn't normally watch or are you going back to your sort of old your old faithfuls like in my case doing tom hanks marathons and you know uh you know those things that feel familiar. yeah i watched i watched all the all the mad max um movies from start to finish oh really a few weeks ago um but yeah i think it's a mix i mean there's some amazing stuff being created now um i'm trying to stay away from tv box sets because that just takes up so much time of your life so i'm, I'm limiting myself to movies Tom, you like a. You must have watched normal people though during. Yeah, we watch normal people near the start of it all. And um, well, I've been busier than Ross because I took on, just as we finished Wolfwalkers, I took on um, doing a short for Greenpeace that we're just finishing up this weekend. And um, that's actually why I need to head off a bit early because I have to go and record something for that with my little nephew because we based a little character. My little nephew is from Peru and um, we based the character on him it's about it's about the amazon and the destruction of the amazon for industrial meat so it's something i'm pretty passionate about and i've been doom doom no what's the word <laughs> whatever the word is for whenever you over binging doom binging documentaries about the state of the environment and the state of the world i'm sad to say and uh i watched the i am greta documentary as part oh, of Toronto, I watched that so, too. yeah oh my goodness yeah. she's very inspiring that really moved me. I mean, and I, it was beautiful to see the way her family support her and everything, you know. Yes, and actually, um, I have to be honest, I mean, and that's why one watches documentaries as well, right? Because it gives you an insight into things that you wouldn't normally have, have access to. Um, but I have a real uh, newfound appreciation for her because yeah. sort of emotionally, she must have struggled so much to try because she, she, isn't someone who's terribly social and she isn't someone who naturally she says she says her superpower is her aspergers and i think she might be right because she has an ability to focus down and i think i relate to that a bit because i I'm, i don't think i'm aspergers but i think a lot of people in animation are on that spectrum where we're able to get quite focused but yeah and also, no I d- and also the, all the all the hate mail and uh, nasty messages yeah. that she gets she kind of hopefully washes off her you know I have a great deal of admiration for her parents too. Yeah. So I mean, I just thought, what, what an amazing family to both encourage and support her, but having to protect her at the same time because she still is only seventeen, she's, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was like fifteen or sixteen at the start when of the documentary, and, and she yeah. really looked like a little girl, you know, because I think she, Finn, didn't she? Honestly, <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted. She's the. T- she looked so frail, almost. Yeah, sitting there. She's stronger than all of us, probably in terms of her. Yeah. She's stronger than all of us. So yeah, I am. But she's right, you know. Part of the Toronto Film yeah. Festival as well. Yeah. Um, it was good. Um, so so uh, well, we'll come on to Greenpeace in a minute because maybe maybe the this um, this passion around the environment will will uh, spur future future animations. So we'll come to what you're what you're going to be doing in the future yeah we're trying uh, trying to pair it with wolfwalkers in the short term if their cinemas open and we get to screen wolfwalkers in cinemas in ireland and the uk i'm hoping to pair the greenpeace short like okay. for because actually there's themes in both i think that relate to each other you know 
So tell me... Um, but I will say a guilty pleasure during lockdown, Lara. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, a guilty no, no, no. pleasure during lockdown. Is, my wife and I are, are great fans of Rocky and stuff, but she especially loves the, the Karate Kid. And there's this show on YouTube called Cobra Kai. And it's just, if you for fun, just for fun, if you want to see exactly what happens to the Rocky Kid in middle age, it's really great. Oh no, the Karate Kid in middle age, it's great. It's supposed to be really good because it flips the story on its head, right? It's actually great. It completely flips the story. He's the bad guy. No, Karate, Karate is the villain because that's the name you actually watch it. But the, 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 the bad guy, um, in the Karate Kid movies, uh, Johnny Lawrence is so sympathetic in this. It's like he never recovered from losing that karate tournament <laughs> in the 1980s. And, and uh, oh, he's a great character. It's actually really well written and very, and I'm kind of sick of those reboots and things, but this one was really clever. And my wife still loves Ralph Macchio, so. <laughs> well, Ralph Macchio has a special place in many women's hearts of a certain age, Tom. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he looks he looks amazing. The Karate that, Kid looks amazing in this. And Andrew McCarthy and James Spade and all of those uh, yeah. uh stories. Um so Wolfwalkers. Why why the story of Wolfwalkers uh, particularly? I mean, apart from the fact that obviously it's an it's an Irish story, it's an Irish, it's perhaps an Irish myth or legend. Um, why this one in particular? What resonated with the story with you that you wanted to make an animation of it? I think Ross and I were hunting around when we were coming up with the idea for something that spoke to some of those themes we were talking about about species extinction and. Um, some of that culture clash that we're seeing in the modern world where we need to find a way to see things through another person or even another species point of view to really understand how they see the world, you know, and not to be locked into one way of looking at things. So the idea that these creatures in folklore could be human and wolves and could live between the two worlds seemed like a good vehicle for exploring those themes. And then we said it in the 1650s because that was a time when there was a like a outright campaign to eliminate the wolves and to take all the forests down. So like what's happening in the Amazon now happened in Ireland in the 1650s. So we just sort of thought that that was the time period where it would be most um, poignant to talk about the wolf walkers because they're in stories going back to the 12th century, I think. But at that moment, it seemed more poignant to think about. I think, I think like Tom, Tom and myself, uh, since we were teenagers, have been like, you know, quite passionate about animal rights and stuff. And yes, um, I think one thing that both of us were always were all, like we we kind of both hated hunting, not hunting out of necessity or hunting for survival, but hunting just as a sport, you know, that, that certain people um, are taken. And we always thought that if only they could be transported into the into the animal's point of view. And suddenly their perception might shift about it, you know, um, the idea that the hunter might become the hunted, you know, when you come back into your human body, then, you know, you, your whole, your whole perception on that pastime would, would have to, your, would have to shift. And I think then also, um, when we talk about like, uh, there's like a, a lot of hatred between different different races and different people, especially now. There's like, um, you know, a lot of societies are going very binary, and yeah. we're always we're kind of 
encouraged to to view the other as as being something to be reviled or hated and it has the same um same kind of uh, motives that if you could live in someone else's shoes and understand their plight then suddenly you wouldn't you know you wouldn't feel this hatred towards them anymore you might actually and actually they, they were they were the key themes that came out for me when i watched the film this idea of diversity uh, inclusion acceptance of differences actually the differences is not being that big as you might imagine and mm, there yeah. being more similarities and there being more more commonalities it all seemed so resonant for me um mm. versus the conversations that are going on between humans mm, right yeah. now actually and i wondered whether or not you i mean obviously you you started off with your love for animals and and this acceptance of, of different species but it actually relates very much to what's going on in the world right now. At least that's what I was left with after I watched the film. Well, for me, it's sad that it's more relevant now than it was when we came up with the idea seven years ago. But like, I, I'm really fascinated by Peter Singer's idea of speciesism, where we can make, if we can expand our compassion to non-human persons, like say the Native Americans would have had a, a sense that even, the, even the, the creatures they hunted or even the trees were non-human persons, that allows you not to be able to see the other in human society as less than a person. And I think that's the problem. Whenever we allow ourselves, you, you hear like the American soldiers in Vietnam, how, how they explain how they committed some of the atrocities was that they didn't see the Vietnamese as persons, you know? So I think it's the same issue. You know, I think speciesism, the way that we see other species as other, that's, that creeps into how we see other people. So it's more about expanding the notion of personhood and the compassion beyond our species that might cure us hating each other as humans, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's like a bit like Banco de Gaia. Have you heard of that theory that the whole world is an organism? Oh, so yeah, yeah. Part of the world, a part of the Banco de Gaia sort of... Um, I have heard bubble, that, yeah. Then you hurt the whole world. It's a similar yeah. thing. I've, I felt that really deeply. I'm really interested in psychedelics and in some ceremonies, I've really felt like the whole world is one living organism and the sickness that we might feel is out there and caused by other people is actually our own to heal as well. So that kind of commonality with that, that way of seeing the world is really common in indigenous people. And um, it's kind of sad that we've lost it. And we kind of saw the wolf walkers as a kind of remnant of a pagan kind of matriarchal society that pre-existed Christianity and all the other so-called civilizing forces in the country. And we kind of wanted Maeve and her mum to kind of represent that way of living in the world as your of nature rather than seeing it as something you know even the idea that we need to protect nature is crazy like nature will be fine we're the ones that are going to get wiped out but we don't we see it as separate to us as if it's like a pretty garden or a park that we have to look after right. but actually we are part of it and that Gaia theory I think really speaks to that as well right yeah. yes I mean these are quite big these are quite big uh, sort of uh, themes and and uh, because obviously it's an animation and you want it to appeal, appeal to all ages um, these are quite big themes to tackle in the form of an animation. Um, do you find that to be a particular challenge? You know, the things that we've talked about, us all being species and us all being connected and not separate and, and all of those things. Um, and somehow you still manage to make the animation really ethereal and magical and you get transported to a sort of fantasy land. Um, 
do you think the fact that you hand draw these things and it takes so and, and there's so much attention to detail and it takes you so long to make these elements do you think that's that's the magic for you that you are able to get those big themes across in that way because of the techniques that you use I think the main thing is in the story that the themes are beneath the main character story. Like we worked a long time to make Maeve and Robin's story the main focus of the whole movie. Right. And so once we were working on those characters, everything in the animation and in the visual language was to serve their worldview and how they saw the world in an expressionistic way. I read a quote recently from a friend of mine and uh, she's an animation producer and she said that, you know, if you if you there's one direction you can go with animation that's towards live action where you try to show how things really really look with for misdilitude or whatever, but we were trying to make go the other direction and show how things feel a little bit more. So we were drawing things to try and show how it felt, you know. And that's actually quite common through all your films. There's something about the way in which you animate that it makes it very emotional. And I haven't quite put my finger on it. I mean, certainly you know, that you've got two small girls and those big eyes and somehow immediately, you know what I mean, as an adult. Yeah. Oh my God, there's two girls and they're on the well, other side. I oh, think it's like, in. I think just cartoons, especially hand-drawn animation, like when you look at Ghibli and stuff, there's an avatar effect where, you know, when you look at a baby, you always think, oh, I, you know, I recognize myself in the, in the baby or something, or you recognize yourself in a simple character design, you kind of, but then maybe Ross can speak a bit more because we really went, far away from what we've done in previous movies in our point of view in into really pushing the boundaries of how expressive we could be visually. Okay. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, well, um, I suppose the, like in Secret of Kells, um, we pushed the design as far as we could go, you know, like simplicity of design and trying to match it to the Book of Kells designs, you know. Um, and then in Song of the Sea, it had a really unique uh, design thanks to um, Tom working with Adrian Marijo, the art director, um, but it still carried on in that in that path that Secret of Kells set up, you know. And there was some beautiful like patterning and really like simplistic kind of abstract shape. Um, but then for Wolfwalkers, we wanted to to push it into more expressionistic territory, like what Tom was saying to to show maybe how um, how characters were feeling and to show emotions through through the art, you know. So it was really like a visual language um, yeah. uh, experience, you know. Um, and you can kind of see that, you know, if uh, if Maeve is angry, there's lines popping off her, and you know, if uh, if there's a very cozy feeling that, um, you know, there's like rounded uh, curved shapes around, like a kind of you know like womb like and the pencil markings are very soft and stuff like that. So it's really about using the medium to convey the, the emotion more so, I think, than in the other two movies. Our, um, our little room for, uh, for script writing and coming up with concepts was right beside one of the animation rooms for The Breadwinner. And so um, Tom and myself had this little bubble where we'd be throwing out all kinds of stupid, crazy ideas and, and like laughing our heads off at some of this, like the, the, the stuff we were coming up with. And then we would open the door and outside would be about 15 animators, totally quiet. like they were scared. drawing these drawing serious it. scenes yeah. of like human the, rights <laughs> oppression. Yes. And, yeah. and, yeah. and, and we were all like, like, ah, wolves <laughs> turn into people. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And then they were like drawing these really serious things. Well, so we um, had to check ourselves quite a lot because yeah. even in the corner of one of the rooms was a burqa, you know, for a reference. 
and oh, like you know and so as soon as we opened the door we're like oh yeah this is a totally different world <laughs> <laughs> but i mean both films do deal with death don't they yeah yeah and you don't shy away, and you don't shy away from that do you well i, I think, think what... there's i, I think like, yeah um like even if you look at all the old fairy tales and all the old fables and stuff um they portrayed life as it was, you know, they, and, right. and like even the stories that I loved as a kid, like, uh, you know, like Roald Dahl books and Tom Cochran books and that, um, they didn't shy away from the darker sides of life. You know, it, it made the stories more real and more like a little bit scary, but that's part of life too. And I think sanitizing stories uh, to make them super safe is it kind of uh, sanitizes it too much, you know, it, it is that very important to, to keep it real? Is that something that's really important to you when you're design when you're thinking about? Yeah, I think so. You have to be honest. I think you have to be honest. With well, I also think that there's a gap in the market for like we're we're making like fairly independent films. They take us a long time to make. And I mean, what I always say is, I remember as a kid, and it's funny, Ross just mentions Tom McCochran. I remember those books about the wolves run swift, run free, you know. But the ca cartoons I saw as a kid were a lot darker, like and. And um, the Don Bluth movie, like The Secret of Name and the Jim Henson's Dark Crystal and stuff, I loved those, you know. And um, I kind of think I remember those films much more than the films I watch as an adult. But I think yeah. when you see a movie as a kid, it makes a huge impression. It's like one of a much smaller number of movies that you've ever seen in your life. And you're at that spongy age. So I kind of feel a responsibility if we're making a movie for kids, that we make something that we really feel passionate about and that we think it's stuff that kids need to think about and know about rather than just more distraction because there's loads of stuff for kids that's just to distract them you know yeah I, I, I was just as you were thinking about it talking about Dark Crystal it took me watership down watership yeah down. Oh, yeah have it dies yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah my mum just had to sing that song and I'd start crying yeah <laughs> maybe it's well, terrible I, I don't know maybe it's bad like I mean but it's, it's, I think it's nice that there's both now, you know. I have a little granddaughter and she's like nearly three and she just loves I just... I have a little granddaughter, yeah. She's nearly three. Well, you're not old enough and to have a granddaughter. Sorry. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not old enough, Lara, to have a granddaughter. And yet, there we are. I have a granddaughter. <laughs> 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 and, uh, sorry. Um, no, it's she, okay. Sorry, I, that was a genuine reaction. I'm just a bit No, shocked. but yeah, sorry. But, um, but she... Um, she she loves I was thinking she loves princess songs and stuff like that and and I and I and I enjoy her loving those things too but I'm also conscious that if it's only the fluffy glitter stuff as she gets older it's not really serving her you know so right now we have a show called Puff and Rock that tries to teach even preschoolers about nature and about ecology and we're making a Puff and Rock movie at the moment and as she's going to do a voice in it actually she's going to be a baby puffin which is great but um it's about climate change you know it's for little kids but that's her generation like we're dealing with it very gently and it's not like in your face or terrifying but it's showing that there's an effect on the animal world that's being caused by climate change and i think it's important that kids are you know we we kind of open up the discussion around those topics with kids rather than just keeping it glitter and princesses you know that's I, it's important to me anyway. Yeah. And then on a personal level too, I think um, like uh, for Robin, uh, for Robin's journey, like she has to choose to be the person that she is, you know, she has to defy orders from the Lord Protector and then ultimately defy her father in, in order to do what she believes is right. And I think that's a really important lesson for children as they grow up too. You know? 
as as um as a female, what I liked about Robin was that well, both of them, both um, both Robin and Maid, is that they they know their own mind, mm-hmm. and um, they're young girls. Uh, in my in my working life, I'm often referred to as being spirited, ah. passionate, yes. uh, which is a which is a which is a pleasant way of describing a female leader because she's you know assertive. Yeah. Um, and I, what I want, what I want for young women when in their, as they grow up and in their, in, and, and they're in their careers is that they are, they, people move away from calling them spirited and passionate and they're just good at their job. And, and exactly. Yeah. Because those, those words would never be, those words would never be used to describe a guy. In position. <laughs> no. It's just like, yeah. A big, a big inspiration for me for Robin was my wife and she's also like really involved in animal rights and she's a very gentle person but she has a fierceness as well she's quite strong and stronger than me you know in a lot of ways in her conviction and her commitment you know she's really involved in different organizations involved in the green party and different things like that so i kind of think it's a yeah what i don't know where it crept in i think it's fairly patriarchal this idea that women are somehow meeker or milder than or mm-hmm. young girls, you know, it's crazy because it's just not true, you know. I, well, yeah. also, but, I, but that's what I liked about the relationship between uh, between Robin and her father. It's, I, mean, and, I mean, there are very clear patriotic figures in Wolfwalkers. There's the Lord Protector, Simon. Yeah, Wolfwalkers. he's great. Yeah, he's amazing, by the way. Yeah. And um, and and who wouldn't want Sean Bean to voice the father's voice? I mean, that's like. Yeah. I mean, we were doing his accent as we were drawing him, so we were looking. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah. man- you manifested him. Yeah, we did. We manifested him. Much, you know. God bless the people working on the breadwinner outside the door, as we were doing all our terrible Sean Bean impersonations. <laughs> you were doing Sean Bean <laughs> And I mean, her father is there. Her father in the film. Her father wants to protect her, but at some at some point. He realizes that she's her own girl, and she's and she's strong, and she's fierce. Well, he holds. Yeah, when Will when Will and uh, was working with us on the screenplay, we I always think that you look out for these tentpole moments that seem kind of mythic or kind of archetypal. And there's a moment where he holds on to her so tight and says he can't lose her. I think that moment was speaking to something that parents often experience when you hold a little bit too tight and try and protect the kids too much that they have to get away from you and they have to you know separate and that was kind of like a visualization of it that she had to separate from him that way for him to see her like for me their arc the the robin and her dad kind of begins and ends the movie and then there's a whole bit in the middle where we're concerned about Maeve and her mum but ultimately it's robin and her dad that's the kind of overall arc of the of the story you know Yes, they, they're the ones that go from being townies and on the side of the Puritan English army to completely on the other side. And it's almost like she's so maybe it's her youth or maybe it's just her natural spirit. She's ready to change. So she changes fairly readily, you know, but that has to be dragged through his character arc by Robin's strength into the other into where he needs to be it's quite like real life right yeah because 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 bill has like he has a a potential secure future you know like with a well-paying job just like many of us we don't want to to change our routine because there's some sense of safety yeah Yeah, exactly he's lost a lot for that he's given up a lot for that you know yeah 
Um, so, and were you very conscious, did you consciously write, or you and, and when you were together with Will, about this sort of, um, this angle with the English Lord Protector and the Irish and, and all the other Irish people with the English Lord Protector? Is that some, is that conscious? Yeah, it was important for, we didn't want to get too, too big into like an Irish English thing because like ultimately our, our hero, uh, Robin is an English girl, you know, um, uh, so we wanted to show how, like, you know, it, we wanted to make it a universal universal story so that someone who doesn't know about, like, Cromwell or any of that history could still understand the story, you know, that they wouldn't yeah. need to have that, uh, that uh, perspective um, or that reference point. It could but, be Republicans uh, and Democrats, you know, it yeah, could exactly. be what, yeah. whatever you want, you know, it's whatever you want. It's when two sides don't, things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 they don't want to see each other. They don't want to see the world from the other's point of view. And um, yeah, I mean, it seemed long enough ago that we could have our kind of Tarantino-esque and glorious bastards. We could play with the history a little bit. Unfortunately, uh, uh, things. Well you don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Poor old <laughs> Oliver. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I think I think it was a theme of 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 people being locked into one worldview or the other, rather than any particular nationality or. Mm-hmm. Well, I think ultimately you just want to tell people, let's not be on sides. Right? Yeah. Just yeah. be yeah. a community. Let's all be together. Because yeah. like I said at the beginning, our there, there are more similarities and differences in the end. Um, so I was lucky enough to see Wolfwalkers at the Toronto Film Festival. And it's playing now. It will be part of the London Film Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're in a weird time for cinema, right? <laughs> Um, I have been back into the cinema and I, I've, 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 I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't go back with Tenet. I went to see Baby Tea first, then I saw Oh, Tenet. cool. I went to Tenet and just came out so confused. Really? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm too stupid for Tenet. I don't understand it at all. <laughs> I, I got most of it. There were a bit, some Did bits. Uh, yeah. Every time, I was, like, I was like when I was in maths class in school and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get... No, no, completely lost. <laughs> It is a bit like trying to figure out algebra, right? Or trying to explain algebra to somebody else. I mean, you either get it or you don't. It was kind of fun, though. Like, it was but fun. it was a fun, wasn't it? It, it was, wasn't a it? Lot it was of fun. Amazing. And it was nice to be on a big screen and everything right, was nice. I went nice. to the IMAX as well, so it was fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you've designed Wolfwalkers. You want Wolfwalkers to be seen on a big screen, yeah. right? Um, so... Um, when, when and I did I read something also that Wolfwalkers is going to, is you have some kind of partnership with Apple Plus. So there will Absolutely, be a, yeah. There yeah, will yeah. be a, there will be a worldwide screening. How do you oh. feel as animators who make films that want to go on a big screen about this sort of situation that we're in right now and this potential dichotomy between because obviously I don't know about you Tom but there weren't many people in the cinema when I went no it was the same with us which is kind of what I used to like I used to go to the cinema on like a Wednesday afternoon to try and get it to myself whereas this time it was pretty sad because it was a Friday evening and it was pretty empty look independent animation has had a hard time getting a screening in cinemas and then finding an audience once you do get a screening anyway and so it's great for us that the streamers are coming in and offering an outlet for more niche like Netflix, Amazon, Apple. It's great because they're, they're, they're putting the movie on their platform so that people internationally can watch it without having to seek it out on some pirate based site or whatever. Right. That said, 
you always dream as a filmmaker that it's going to be seen by an audience, even if it's only in festivals, even if it's only in art house cinemas, you hope that the audience is going to see it as it was intended for the big, the big screen. So there's this kind of, there's a push pull for me anyway, even on the producing side of it, that I'm delighted that there is a platform that is going to show it internationally, but I'm also kind of sad, not even just, in COVID times that there's less and less opportunities for independent movies that aren't big blockbusters to be seen in cinemas. It's just so hard. I would like to see it again. I, I saw it on obviously online. Uh, as yeah. Well. I would like to see it again on a big screen. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to. In London. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. afraid. I was just talking to the people in Greenpeace before this call and they're afraid of another lockdown. I'm like terrified that you're not going to, we're not well, going to get to I release in, it. I am in London at the moment and I downloaded the, uh, the, the NHS, whatever you may want to call it, app has gone live today. Yeah. And you're supposed to put in your postcode and it says that I'm in a medium risk area. Okay. So you okay. might be able to, so the cinemas might stay open at like 50% well, capacity. Are open for the time being. Yes. And I hope that they stay open. Because right. Nobody wants them to, nobody wants them to close again. So no. I'm hoping that we'll be able to, I'm making a pitch now on behalf of mm. Irish Film London because we, uh, because our purpose, our sole purpose is to support Irish art. We would, we want to make sure that your film gets to a big screen. And we yeah. have to be sure that not just the Irish um, diaspora, but, but others come to a wonderful showing of it. And that's where we could be sh showing your Greenpeace film as well. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pair the short with Wolfwalkers everywhere we can because Greenpeace have an awful hard time, you know, they getting out on anywhere kind of um, on a platform wide enough that everyone sees it. So trying to team up with them and show it like, i think it's it kind of works well the two the two the short is only like three minutes long but it deals with what's going on in the amazon now and then wolf walkers i think they go well together so yeah let's let's try and show it to everyone we can in london so. right, 100%. Well, let's, let's let's do it uh before uh before it starts streaming on apple tv plus um there is cinematic distribution in certain territories it's the widest release we've ever negotiated unfortunately COVID is like yeah. if it wasn't for COVID, this would be the widest release we've ever organized, you know, um, in the UK, in the US with G Kids, in China, in Japan, in Japan and in and Norway and Sweden Scandinavia. Well. Yeah, yeah, Scandinavia well, as well. Yeah. In Norway and Sweden, I can, I can see them really, really like, there's a Viking-esque element to it, I think, as well. Ah, yeah. And they're good at the old, they like design and all, so I hope yeah, they, they like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, obviously, um, Cartoon Saloon has a, has a history of, of, of Irish themed animations, and I, I know you were talking. You obviously been talking quite a lot about your passion for for um, climate change, etc. Will your next film or films, other than the Greenpeace stuff that you're working on, will that be um, Irish themed as well? Will that relate to Irish uh, um, legends or myths or yeah. stories? There's no, there's no reason why not. And there's a couple of projects at the very early stages, like there's a, a series that we want to do based on folklore, like based on story, different storytellers from around Ireland. But it's at the very earliest days. And the next project is My Father's Dragon that Nora's directing. And that's completely like it's for Netflix and it's completely, it's not Irish. It's kind of like America, um, the setting. And then um, 
I'm thinking about, we have a serial that we're doing for Apple that is kind of fun because it play, it's mixing up different mythologies. So there's Irish folklore elements, but there's also Greek folklore in there and different Euro, like Viking folklore runes and stuff. So the, the creator of that, Donal, and the director, Morris, they're kind of playing with folklore in a much more, um, you know, no boundaries kind of way. They're just taking the puka from Irish legend and minotaurs from Greece and mixing them all up in a kind of pseudo West of Ireland island. So yeah, that's that's kind of still playing in that. Yeah, like Wolf Walkers is like a you know like the the, the third film of a trilogy with Secret of Hell, Song and Sea, and Wolf Walkers um, dealing with you know like looking that way and dealing with shape shifting and folklore and Irish mythology in that in that certain demographic and. Uh, I think there might be in the future other Irish films or Irish themes or even even stories based on myths and legends, but it won't. I don't think it'll be. Yeah, like, we need like to put it. Yeah, these three need to sit together as what they are, and then we're going to look wider after this. I would like to make a request that you make a story about the Giants Causeway in Finn McCool. I cannot believe you're talking about that. I had a call with Ardman and Disney earlier, Did and that's really? exactly what exactly what I pitched to them. I pitched that to them, right? And um, oh. problem is, when I pitched it, and I pitched it, and I've had storyboards and designs that we did years ago kind of ready to show. And uh, it, it isn't very conciliatory, because at the end, Ben O'Donner goes back to Scotland and pulls up all the rocks so that they can never see each other again. So I need to find a way to make it a little bit more um, conciliatory at the end because it's but just it has sort to be some artistic license that yeah. the two giants meet in the middle and become friends or something. I think something, something. I'm not sure, and I, I think there's something in there. What I love about the story is that Finn's wife is smarter than the two of them. You know the way she gets him drunk and may, pretends he's a baby and all. So maybe <laughs> Ben O'Donner has a wife that's smarter than him and the, the wives outsmart the two boys or something like I don't know anyway do you think how do you think Irish cinema is viewed globally do you think that you have an advantage being Irish animators or a disadvantage I think what I've experienced with the previous films is that Irish people are pretty reluctant to, they're a bit. They've got this post-colonial cringe going on, where they're a bit afraid that it's going to be embarrassing or something. And it's only internationally. Like we were so embraced internationally, whether it's the UK or the US or even in Japan and stuff. China, we had a huge success with Song of the Sea in China. I don't know, but that kind of le lent legitimacy to the projects that Irish people went, oh, we're really proud of this now. But when we released them originally in in Ireland, Irish people were a bit afraid to to like it in case it yeah, was kind of not good. I think that, I think it used to be like that. I think it's changed now. Like, uh, I think a lot of Irish people are very proud of, of Irish films that are being released. Like, even if you look at Black 47, which was made, what, like two, three years ago? Yeah. That, that, um, that proved like a huge hit just in the general public because suddenly it was like, it was an Irish film. It was dealing with Irish themes, but it was something that they could just sit back and watch like a Tarantino kind of movie, you know? Well, I think a lot of Irish films as well have been dealing with, pretty heavy stuff in the culture and I think that internationally it's interesting like I'm always interested to see Japanese animation particularly Ghibli stuff which is quite beautiful in that it gives a little window into animism and Shinto religion and their way of, of being in the world and uh, maybe that's what makes our films interesting internationally because it gives a little window into a different way of thinking about things or looking at the world so yeah I think I think there's an advantage in being the like 
offering something different and something kind of hopefully authentic rather than something super packaged, you know? Do you, I think you're doing amazing things for Irish tourism. Because I think, <laughs> seriously, I think people in, in America and in, in Japan and in China watch your animation, will watch Wolf Walker. Yeah. And they'll be, they'll come to Ireland and they'll be looking, they'll be looking for wolves and they'll be looking for these, yeah. looking for these. Yeah. They'll be disappointed then, won't they? <laughs> I, met, I remember, I remember we've had some people arrive in the studio who came to Ireland on a, on a holiday or tour just because of our movies. And then they were going looking, like in Song of the Sea, we have Donegal and Ben Bulban and different, they go and see us. So that's true, I suppose, mm. you know? Yes, like Game of just like Game of Thrones, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. and Star yeah. Wars, people come to these places looking yeah. for, uh, looking for where where films and TV that's resonated with them has been made. That's true. And and say I was here when Daenerys. I saw. Armed I, dragon saw I saw a boat like <laughs> down in Kerry last year. I saw a boat that was doing trips out to the Skelligs, and the boat was called Spirit of the Force Awakens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's you got to cash in on it, you know. <laughs> the spirit of the Force Awakens, I thought was great. I, I think what I was just coming back to the other thing. You know, it's funny. My sister is married to a, a chap from Peru and uh, like he's like a, a indigenous Peruvian, you know, and um, his idea of Ireland. It's so funny to think about because he'd seen Irish movies like uh, Nora and like different like maybe Michael Collins and stuff like that. So right, he'd, right. his idea of Ireland was only through movies. And then when he came here, he kind of went, oh, you're actually like a modern Western society kind of thing, you know? So it's kind of interesting. But it was, it was nice. He had, a, he had a generally positive concept of Ireland before he met my sister, I think. Thanks to Irish movies, you know. Thanks to Irish mean, You see, I told you you're doing a lot for Irish tourism. So you manifested Sean Bean when you were writing, <laughs> um, when you were writing Wolf Walkers. Um, who else? Who else? I'm just one, and obviously um, Tommy Tiernan and yeah. Kennedy uh, lend their voices as well to this film, which and and they're and they're wonderful in it. I'm just wondering who else you're, who are you manifesting now as you think about Poppin' Rock? Or maybe oh, it's amazing. Puffin Rock, little girl Eva, who does the voice of Maeve. Yes. Um, she's so talented, and we just discovered her through open auditions. Like she'd never acted before. Honor was Honor Neasley is quite successful young actress, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were lucky to get her for Robin. And Eva was her first role, and she's again in Puffin Rock now. We're working with her again in Puffin oh, Rock. And and Puffin Rock, we have recorded uh, the narrator in the series is Chris O'Dowd. Who's a school friend of Paul, the producer? So he's Chris's. Oh, I see. Okay. So Chris is Chris, and the cutest thing was when Chris's little first little boy was really young. I went to visit him in his house in America and in, in LA, and the little boy was only allowed to watch Puff and Rock. So as far as he was concerned, you know, Daddy was in the TV as well as in real life, and it was really cute, you know. Probably when he got to watch the next uh, series that wasn't narrated by his father, he was disappointed, you know. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just got this in the post. I, you can't oh, see it on the podcast. Oh. I got this handmade for my granddaughter. It's an Una, very U, Una from Puff and Rock costume. Yeah, that's very so, cute. Yeah, trying well, to wean her off Frozen, you know. It's not adult size though, Tom. You have to get one made. I got. I found a person on Instagram who makes them. She stitches them. She'll get you one made, Lara. So if we do a Wolf Walker screening in London for Irish Film London, I expect the two of you to turn up dressed as wolves then in that. Oh, yeah. Movie. In huge, oh, big uh, wolf uh, onesies, yeah. 
We're all yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Is there anybody that you haven't worked with that you would like to work with, actually? Because you, wow. I mean, you're, you're, you're commanding a, an amazing voice cast now, nowadays, aren't you? I think it's always about the character. Like, you know, it's nice that people answer our call now. You know that there's people, like if we think, oh yeah, maybe that person, at least we get a chance to talk to them. Like people take us, you know, agents and stuff take us seriously when we approach, when we approach people, you know. I don't know, Ross, who do you want to work with? Uh, well, I was just going to say Patrick Stewart, be, uh, just because I saw him oh. doing this, this amazing skit um, of the, uh, the English government. Uh, <laughs> it was for, <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, it was kind of going viral a couple of days ago, but he's got such a commanding voice. Yes. It's yes. really amazing. And we're uh, Star Trek fan. I'm definitely a big yeah, Star exactly. Trek fan. I, yeah. I think if you do do, you know, the Giant's Causeway, Finn McCool, I reckon Michael Sheen would be good as Finn, Finn McCool. He's oh. got voice that's so I, interesting so um the theater theaters aren't not all theaters are open yet but the old vic is doing um a series of plays where the the actors are on stage yes it's just the two of them or three of them yeah. and then the audience watches via zoom so yeah actually michael sheen did a brian friel play on oh wow with i must tune into some of those and he was extraordinary i mean you know so it's, you put it on your screen and he's in your living room but he was wow. so oh, i must give I that a watch a good, a good giant yeah maybe so maybe so that's a good idea yeah 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 it's, we'll interesting. Have to... it's, it's interesting the way that live performers have to come up with like you know alternative ways to to reach out to their audience but it must be so hard for an actor or a musician on stage with an empty theater in front and then at the end, there's no round of applause, there's no standing ovation, there's nothing to, to feed back from, you know? Well, it's uh, like it's us just, with the Toronto premiere. We were like yeah. looking on Twitter to see what were people saying about it because we just, we had no feedback. And, and how was that for you? How did you find that? How did you find reading the feedback on Twitter rather than being actually in the room with them watching it? Uh, I kind I missed it. I, I always loved it. Like Toronto and London are the two festivals that we did for the last two features. Right. And it was always really nice because we got kind of audience feedback straight away and it was nice to be in the room. But I was I used to be terrified. I used to not be able to watch the movie. I would be so nervous. But this time I watched it and I, I expected only to turn it on for a bit and then turn it off and watch Cobra Kai or something. But I watched the whole movie. I actually enjoyed it. I wasn't as nervous, so it was a bit easier. I was on the couch. Yeah, I remember like for the for the first couple of premieres of Secret of the Cows, like every time someone would cough or be like, move, you'd be like, oh, they're getting bored, they're getting bored. Or if there was a joke and not enough people laughed, you'd be like, oh, that joke fell flat, you know. Didn't and work. So you're not actually enjoying it. So we used to actually just like stay for about three or four minutes and then walk yeah. out. Yeah. Spend the rest of the time in the lobby and then come back in for the end. It must be, it must be, um, I mean, effectively, if you've worked on something for seven years, it's effectively <sighs> a child, isn't it? So oh. it? And then you're sort of releasing your child into the yeah. world. So it must be, it must be sort of scary and exciting all at the same time for both of you. When it's you awful because animation can lure you into this false sense of security because it's years and years and years and you're working away. And at a certain point, you've committed to the story and you're animating it and working on it. So you kind of, at a certain point, kind of forget 
that it's going to be judged by an audience at the end. And then when the premiere comes up, you're like, oh yeah, reviews. Oh yeah, audience reaction. Oh shit, now we have to kind of sit with that. So I was nervous and it was so funny. I wrote on, on Facebook, oh, I'm really nervous about uh, the premiere tonight. And uh, a friend wrote on Facebook, what are you so nervous about? It's just like five years of you and all your closest colleagues, hard work, about to be reviewed professionally. <laughs> it's like, ah! Well, I mean, so far, the reception has been wonderful for Wolverine, yeah. as it should yeah. be. Um, so uh, do we think we'll see another another road paved to another Oscar nomination for Cartoon Saloon, Tom? Well, it's such a it's such a funny year. You can never be sure about the Oscar nominations, you know. I mean, I'm a member of the Academy now, and I vote and stuff. Definitely in the animation category every year. And then, yeah, I never take anything for granted along those lines. But I mean, there's some good films still to come out this year. I'm really excited for Soul from Pete Docter. I know Glenn Keane has an, an interesting movie with Netflix, Over the Moon, and uh, there's already been a few, but there hasn't been as many as there usually are. So it's hard to know what the category is going to look like, even if there's going to be five spaces or maybe just three. Or I've, I got a, I've got a ticket to Seoul for the, uh, for the London. Uh, oh, I should try and get that. I'm mad to see it. I'll watch it on my you projector should, at for home. Sure, for sure. I wonder it's if there's still possible to get tickets or am I finagle? Tickets are still uh, available, yes. Right, I'm doing that. Thanks. Um, as an Academy member, mm. are there any other films that you have watched or you want to watch that you think could be Oscar worthy just out of interest was there did you watch any other films at the Toronto Film Festival I didn't watch it I didn't I didn't watch everything I planned to watch because I have them all on the Academy um site and I kind of try and watch them all in a block in November and December but we have until April now to watch them all you know I mean there's loads I mean hearing great things about Nomadland and mm. um and you and just said baby teeth and all that in terms of cartoons I think it's soul is the one that I'm most excited for I'm kind of friends with Pete like I know him a little bit and I have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker and I he always makes something more than it needs to be like he always makes a really entertaining pixar disney movie but that's more than it like it doesn't play it safe at all he goes into another territory so i think it's going to be like inside out again you think he's going to push into somewhere else so i'm most excited about that i think i saw so in, in terms of irish film I, I saw your film and also wildfire as part of the toronto it's, festival i'd say that's great isn't it? And, I don't, and it, she was it was it was fantastic it was um danica mcgregan's last film before she passed away so it's that and it's a very emotionally uh, intense yeah. film about two sisters and their and their bond and their relationship and what's interesting is in the first 10 or 15 minutes there's there's a wolf actually appears oh really in, in the dark and it made me think of your film ah. and, I, and, and i obviously i have i i've not asked kathy brady about yeah. this i hope i get the chance to ask her about the symbolism of the wolf um in the film um but it made me made me think of, of she's your, a brilliant young actor she or she was a brilliant young actor it's so sad that i remember watching can't cope no Hope or something. It was yes, a series. Yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. She was brilliant in it. And only afterwards, someone told me it was Barry McGuigan's daughter. When I was a kid, I was a big fan of the Clone of Cyclone. I was really... <laughs> Who was he was great. Yeah, what he was, was class. Right? Yeah, no, so she's... So, awful sad, isn't it? Is, is unbelievable in it. So, if you do get a chance... So, Wildfire's on in, at the London Film Festival as well. So, if you do, I would heartily recommend... Righto. Uh, not just, I will. Obviously, Watch it's, you know... Irish film London and it's an Irish film but also yeah. because it's it's 
expertly directed and written and the two leads are, are wonderful in it. It really made me think, what lengths would you go to for your, I'm, I'm one of two sisters, what lengths mm. would you go to for your sister? Mm. Um, because in those two, they, there were no, there were no, there were no bounds. There were no boundaries. They, they mm. were just the two of them in the world. Um, I think you have to go now, Tom. If I I'm do. Not... I have to go and do a Greenpeace thing. I'm actually late now, so I I'm have to rush. Sorry that I kept joking. No, I really enjoy chatting to you. And this is yes. so nice and laid back and everything. So thank <laughs> yes, you so much. That's exactly how we like to do it. Yeah. It's been um, such a pleasure to talk to both of you. I, I, I salute you. I am not oh. worth um, And um, I look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully in London, where hopefully we can screen Walk Walkers on a big screen to yeah. our audience. Let's and do hopefully it. Not in the, hopefully not in the way, way distant future. Hopefully not sometimes. in the way, way We have cool Wolf Walkers face masks where the bottom of your case, face looks we'll like snarling. We'll try and find a way to give everybody that attends a Wolf Walkers face mask as well. Yeah, so yeah. And when you look at the audience, you'll see everybody. These snarling teeth on. looking. Exactly. In the meantime, incorporate it in, into the wolf onesie so that everyone gets a wolf onesie. And yes, exactly. Mask I wanted to ask you briefly before you go about your podcast series, actually, because we wanted to, because we're going to, this is our podcast series. We wanted yes. to give a shout out to your podcast. Oh, series. yeah. I, I haven't done one for a while, but because we have people from all over, all over the world working in Cartoon Saloon, and sometimes I don't get to talk to them about their how they ended up in Cartoon Saloon. They always have fascinating stories. So I have a podcast called Speakeasy where I interview different Salooners about their journey to end up in Kilkenny in Ireland. And it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, because some of them come from all sorts of places in the world to Kilkenny. It must be like coming, go, landing on a different planet. For some of them, I imagine. I hope it's yeah. I hope it, we're not that weird, but I could yeah, we're pretty oh, weird. I could imagine. <laughs> no, it is. It's a big. It's a big change for a lot of people, and but I'm really. I feel like it enriches the town, and and the studio, of course, so much having people from all over. So it's nice to celebrate it, you know. And then um, um, like Tom how... gets to find out all of, all of their sordid secrets of what they did before animation. Well, I can imagine he's quite disarming and they just end up telling him the stuff. That Especially when he gives them that porridge with the whiskey on top. Yes, exactly. That's it. That's how he does it. Porridge with whiskey. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I will let you get on with your day and thank you so, so very much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Really lovely. Thank, thank you, you Lara. Okay, See bye, 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 Tom. Bye. See bye. you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's a wrap from Lara, Tom and Ross huge thank you to the guys for giving us their time and thank you for tuning in if you've enjoyed this episode there's more to come so remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and check out irishfilmfromhome.com too and don't forget to follow us on social media simply search for irish film london on facebook twitter and instagram and a final thank you to the irish emigrant support program who've been a wonderful support of ours for a number of years providing encouragement and vital support Gurmila Mahakut. The Irish Film London podcast is presented by me, Neve Brannigan. It was written and produced by Lara Ramden. Our executive producer is Kelly O'Connor. We're mixed and edited by Owen Billcliffe. And our theme music is by the supremely talented Kevin McLeod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.